0: This follows the same kind of logic as that actually D- Judd movie, Double uh, Jeopardy.
1: Oh, where Lord, it's like, yeah. Where
0: it's, like, where it's following the like the logic of the law very specifically. Where it's like, no, I'm pretty sure if I got arrested for killing you and then they found out you weren't dead and then I killed you, they could just charge me with a different crime. They're not going to be like, oh, well. Um. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell sales are doing really well. From Shock Treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast, and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast, and your hosts have asked that I inform you that
2: theme song to The Sequel Cast is performed and written by Mark with a C. Check out his latest album, Motherfuckers Be Bullshitting, at markwithac.bandcamp.com. Now we return to The Sequel Cast.
0: And your that I informed you the show now Excuse me, excuse me. No, well, it's watching uh, me. Uh, this is Tuna. I hate Tuna, okay? I refuse to accept Tuna. I'm not. Hey, Leo, don't...
2: Oh, where were you? I just said that. I'm not eating it. I am to eat food. Come on, let's go back. I'm
0: not going back, so just shut
2: up. Oh, sure. Don't go back. Okay, okay, I'll go back. That's it. Let me, let me tell you, can I give you two guys a friendly piece of advice, okay? Don't ever go up to the drive-thru, okay? Always walk up to the counter. You know what? Okay, okay, okay. They fucked you at the drive-thru, okay? They fucked you at the drive-thru. They know you're going to be miles away
0: before you find out you got fucked, okay? They know you're not going to turn around and go back.
2: I don't care. Who that's oh, me? Oh, yes. okay. Sure. I don't give a fuck money. This room, okay? Shut up! <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a show that talks about movies in a franchise, one movie at a time. Uh, we're currently in the middle of looking at the Lethal Weapon movies. And uh, with this episode we're focusing on Lethal Weapon 2, came out in 1989. And you know, directed by Richard Donner, uh, just like the first film and in fact all the films in the franchise. Uh, Screenplay by Jeffrey Boehm, based on a story by Shane Black and Warren Murphy. It again stars Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, but introduces Joe Pesci into the mix. And, um, yeah, there's a theatrical cut, a director's cut of this out. And on a budget of $25 million, made $227 million worldwide. So, it did pretty well for itself. Uh, with me is Thrasher. Hello, oh, yeah. everybody. Okay. And we have returning to the show special guest uh, Josh Miller. He is a staff writer for Chud, and he recently co wrote a book with Patrick Casey called The World Reduced to Infographics. Hello. And um, your column on uh, one of your columns on Chud focuses on uh, movie sequels, and you're going to be covering Lethal Weapon on there coming up, right?
0: Yep. Uh, I'm actually think it's going to start either today or tomorrow.
2: Oh, great! So, now before we talk about Lethal Weapon two, what's the current thing? I guess with Lethal Weapon five, they were going to do it, but then Mel Gibson said no, and then they're trying to remake Lethal Weapon. Maybe is that?
0: Uh, I wouldn't consider myself super. in on any of the knowledge, but that was, that was the last I heard.
2: Okay, but, yeah. I haven't heard anything new either, but just wondering.
0: I think I think the the way it was phrased by Joel Silver was that Mel Gibson didn't not want to do a part five, <laughs> but didn't want to do it now, whatever that really means. I mean, they're, they're starting to get a little old to the point where mm-hmm. if they don't do it now, I don't really know how they're going to pull it off. When you think about the fact that uh, Murtaugh was turned 50 in the first uh, movie, so he's going to be like, what, a detective who's still on the force in his 70s now? It's a little improbable.
2: No, that's true, and yet I'd, I'd be annoyed to see them remake it, but I can certainly see a remake of Lethal Weapon happening, although in a way Rush Hour is kind of the same thing, but just not as good, but sort of the same concept. But
1: not as much premeditated suicide.
2: no. All right, so let's uh, get started on Lethal Weapon Two. Um, I've never seen this movie before watching it uh, for this show, but even before watching it, I knew about the toilet scene, and it was a very famous um, Thrasher. Had you seen Lethal Weapon Two before?
1: Yeah, I actually saw it when it uh, when it ran on HBO in uh, 1990.
2: Oh, okay. And uh, what about you, Josh? I don't remember when I first saw it, but I feel like
0: it feels so long ago that I have to assume it was when it was initially released on VHS. Mm-hmm. I don't think... I was not quite... I mean, it was a different time and place, but uh, I don't. I don't, still don't think I was quite at the age where my parents would have taken me to see that.
2: Right, yeah. Um, my dad showed me Lethal Weapon, the first one, when I was like in third grade or something, but he never showed me... The uh, sequels, and um, and then did he not
0: like the sequels?
2: Uh, I don't know. No, I th- I think he did, but I just don't know why he didn't show me. Th- he didn't show me a lot of sequels to things. Actually, it was kind of weird. He only showed me Mad Max Two and uh, Terminator Two and some other stuff. So,
1: did so this show your way of rebelling against
2: your father? Uh, sure. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Before we get into the story and stuff with Lethal Weapon 2, I mean, the big thing is it introduces Joe Pesci as Leo Getz. And, um, you know, this is certainly a, a lighter sort of comedic part than Joe Pesci had played in the past in some of the Martin Scorsese films, like uh, Raging Bull. And, um, I don't know, I think some people find Leo Getz really annoying. What do you think about that? Um,
0: I mean, uh I find him really annoying as far as what happens in the rest of the franchise. But Mm -hmm. um, in this movie, I I mean, he's supposed to be annoying. That's kind of the whole point. Yeah. Like, basically, if you don't find the character annoying, the entire chemistry of uh, his triangle with Riggs and Murtaugh doesn't work because they're, Police officers, you know, assigned to protect him, and they're just constantly physically and verbally abusing him. So, if he's not annoying, then they kind of just seem like horrible sociopaths.
1: Yeah, I think Joe Fetch's character is is meant to be to be not comic relief, but but annoying in that way that comic relief is annoying. You know, two real police officers had to deal with a movie comic relief character, that's kind of how I see the dynamic. But it's a dynamic that works. It's a character that works for Pesci.
2: I mean, the way Lethal Weapon 2 starts is in the middle of a car chase. It's very different from the beginning of the first film. Kind of in the middle of an action sequence that I think, uh, I don't know, it's okay, but it just sort of seems like it could have been an action sequence in any other movie. There's a lot of 80s movies uh, with uh, car chases.
1: I
0: also, I don't know, it, it only happens for like a few bars of the song, but I, I totally didn't remember this until I was rewatching it for uh, my column on Chud. Um, but over the WB, the Warner Brothers logo, logo uh, as we're transitioning into the uh, car chase opening, they play a little bit of the Looney Tunes theme song. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's that's like, right. You know, like,
0: it's basically just... Basically, this movie's like, this movie, the first movie was kind of fucked up, you know. Riggs wanted to commit suicide. It opens with a girl squirting cocaine and throwing herself naked off a, you know, balcony. <laughs> but now the movie's just wacky.
1: Yeah,
2: Well, right. And In fact, in an original draft of Lethal Weapon 2 written by Shane Black, who wrote the original, at the end had uh, Mel Gibson's character die and had the girl live and not drown, and I guess she would have continued the franchise with Danny Glover, I have no idea, but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. Who who movie. Uh,
0: I mean, that It's like... That's a rare case where, uh, you know, I kind of side with the soulless uh, movie studio that is only concerned with making more Lethal Weapon movies, Cause I'm like, why well, can't kill... R- Mel Gibson, I mean, that just seems, like, why even make a sequel if that was, like, your attitude, you know? Uh, But, uh, but, I mean, I I assume that Shane Black walked away from the movie, not just because of that, but because he wanted the movie to have uh, a harder edge to it and darker tone, Um, and clearly Joel Silver and, you know, the studio just wanted it. Well, we're latching on to the fact that what people really responded to in the first one was the comedy more so than anything else.
2: I mean, the first one had its funny moments, but, I mean, it, it certainly had a more serious tone. I think that's true. Uh, Thrasher, you were going to say something?
1: Well, I was just going to say, like, it, I, I would feel like if you did kill off uh, Gibson's character in the second film... I really would have uh, sort of felt betrayed because it almost is like, you know, he, he starts taking steps to get his life back together at the end of the first season. weapon. Then you kill him off before he really has a chance to get his life back together.
2: <laughs> yeah, and also... I, mean, I can't... no one would have liked that. No, have been riots. I don't think you could have gotten away with it. I mean, that reminds me of, uh, in, when I saw uh, Indiana Jones 4, was it Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in the theater, There's that nuke the fridge moment, and for a second I was really thinking that the fridge would open up and Indiana Jones would be dead. And I was like, well, that'd be ballsy. <laughs> just a skeleton
1: with a fedora would fall out.
2: Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's not what happened, of course, in that movie. But, uh, I just think that's sort of funny. Uh, you know, the, the bad guy in this, uh, or the main one, Arjun Rudd, is Joss Ackland, who I uh, remember from a Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey as uh, the bad guy general from that one.
0: Yeah, this, that was, I'm not sure what year that was exactly, but that was kind of uh, Joss Ackland's one-two punch, really, with the movies. Uh, I think he was also in Hunt for Red October, playing a,
2: mm-hmm.
0: a Russian um and then, yeah, you, know, you don't really see him a lot in movies. Oh, I guess he was in Mighty Ducks, too. Mighty Ducks Part 1, what am I talking about? So, okay, he was in a bunch of movies for a brief period of
2: time. Yeah, I think now he's still alive, and he still does a lot of British television, I think, but you're right. Um, and, yeah, I don't think, you know, the first movie, it didn't even introduce uh, Gary Busey as the bad guy until, like, halfway through the film, really. Or, you know, or at least had stepped up that conflict. Yeah. In this one, you get the the South African bad guy's pretty early on, but yet they don't have much of a personality. I found they're very two-dimensional, not as memorable. Um, you have, like, the scary eyebrows of, like, the number two bad guy person, but... What's a kind of generic foreign villain? mm
0: mm-hmm. um, I guess I would disagree only in the sense that because in this, Part 2 basically has the same setup with our villains as the first one did, where there's, like, the main bad guy... But then, really, the main bad guy is his, like, underling. Right. uh, Who gets, like, you know, uh, Mr. Joshua, Gary Busey in the first one, like, lives longer than uh, uh, the general character, just like uh, Arjun Rudd dies, I think he dies before um, his, like, number two goon. Um, But, uh, I mean... Gary Busey is way more, I mean, Gary Busey, he's way more memorable than the guy from part two, but I thought Josh Acklin was actually a better boss man mm. than the general from the first one, who yeah. I, I mean, who was the dad from Darwin Gregg. <laughs> I found <him laughs> so, like, he was, like, simultaneously forgettable and sort of, like, cartoonishly over the top, just the way he would talk. I, I felt like he was, like, a, I felt like he was the villain from a way worse B-movie than <laughs> *Lethal Weapon was. Um, whereas Josh Eklund, I mean, they are like two-dimensional in the fact that it's just like, oh, South Africans are racist, so they're evil. Um, but I mean, Josh Eklund's a cool actor and he's got a very memorable, cool voice. And so, even just that alone, uh, like, I, I mean, I've remembered him all these years where I couldn't even remember what the villain from the first Lethal Weapon looked like until I watched it again.
2: Right. And, uh, and it's funny you mentioned like the the racism like and the part hide in apartheid in South Africa, and I've been reading a uh, biography on Richard Donner, called I can't um I'm trying to look up the title of it, but anyway in it it talks about Richard Donner, is very environmentalist, um, you know as a heavy political agenda he tries to put in his films, and uh, I guess even in the first movie you have stickers in the kitchen, of uh, Danny Glover's character that says free. Stop Apartheid in South Africa. It's, uh, yeah, and
1: end Apartheid, uh, Magnum Fridge.
2: Yep. And uh, part of that's the doing... And, the... and
0: also, in part two has the thing where Danny Glover's about to eat a tuna sandwich. Yeah, yeah. The whole family like, freaks out. They're like, No, Dad! Dolphin!
2: Right, and you know, it's probably after this movie that you started seeing the commercials and the, the stickers on the tuna can saying, oh, this is dolphin-safe tuna, even though you're paying 25 cents for a can of it. Yeah.
1: uh, (laughs) But you're not
2: paying the life of a dolphin. I guess. I guess maybe dolphin (laughs) meat is delicious. I don't know. I've never had it. Uh, It probably is pretty good. Pretty tender.
1: Bear the deer of the sea. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, the book I've been reading about Richard Donner is called You're the Director, You Figure It Out The Life and Films of Richard Donner by James Christie. And uh, pretty entertaining so far. I mean, it's hard to... I mean, Richard Donner, as a director, we can talk about that for a minute. But he's done so many films, and I guess people don't always realize he directed The Goonies. He directed mm-hmm. um, Radio Flyer. I guess that's not a great example. Uh, he directed... The Omen. The Omen, right. Scrooged. And he did tons of television before that and all this stuff, besides all four Lethal Weapon films. I mean, that's unusual, too, that it's one director doing all four... Films of an action franchise that almost never happens. I guess Brett Ratner did it with the three uh, Rush Hour films, but, but yeah, Richard Don. I mean, it probably
0: probably helps with the franchise that mm, almost all of his movies after Lethal Weapon two uh, weren't necessarily big hits. So yeah, no,
2: that's true, ex- except for the Lethal Weapon films. And, yeah, anytime he tried something different, like Radio Flyer or, or Timeline, uh, they kind of fell on their face. I think,
0: did, did he, I think he directed uh, the movie version of Maverick that has yes, uh, yes. Mel Gibson
2: yeah. and movie. Danny
0: Glover in a cameo.
2: Yeah, I think that one did okay, actually, but you're right. Uh, well, well, he also did, though, the cult classic
1: Ladyhawk, and I think that's awesome.
2: Um, yeah, with Roger Hauer. Yeah. Ferris yeah. Taylor. And, you know, Rucker Howard in that movie replaced... Uh, Kurt Russell was cast and everything, and they fired him because of disagreements pretty early on, so they had to get Rucker Howard to fill in. And instead of Matthew Broderick at one point, they were considering... Um, oh, man, what's his name? He's the the nerd in Ghostbusters with the glasses. Rick Moranis. Rick
0: Moranis? Yeah,
2: I was going to do that wow. part. Kurt
0: Russell and Rick Moranis? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a buddy comedy.
2: I think I would I might have rather seen that. I don't know. I, I love the... Uh, Anachronistic music in Lady Hawk over the opening credits.
0: Oh, I was actually just going to say Lady Hawk uh, has like, possibly <laughs> my all time most hated score. Yeah. It's just,
2: yeah. Well, I just like it's, how like, cheesy it is. It's fascinatingly atrocious. The score sounds like it's from like a jazzercise exercise video, and you're mm-hmm. trying to set it up as a serious fantasy, and then you have all these synthesizers from the Alan Parsons Project. Oh, my God. But uh, we're not talking about Lady Hawk. We're talking about Lethal Weapon Two. It's a it cult not. classic. It is a cult classic. Actually, uh,
0: I guess maybe segue back to um, the apartheid thing. Yes. Because you know, I guess as far as the stuff you pay attention to a movie, stuff in a movie that you pay attention to when you're a kid versus an adult. It was like I didn't, I I didn't remember any of the apartheid stuff. In fact. I feel like when I was a kid, I didn't even really get what South Africa was. Mm-hmm. It's fucking like a country. <laughs> but um, but i was literally watching it now, and this, I mean, I guess won't tangent off on this uh, just yet, but relates to kind of something I thought was weird and sort of a mistake uh, from a writing perspective on Lethal Weapon 2 compared to the first film. But I thought it was weird that in the movie, that it's, it's Riggs who has a thing with, like, like, he's the one who develops the Nemesery with the South Africans instead of, you know, Murtaugh, the black guy. Yeah. It's, kind of, it's always Riggs, who keeps calling them Air, Like He keeps calling Arjun Rudd, Aryan Rudd. Uh, mm-hmm. And he keeps making master race jokes, which, of course, now is unfortunately kind of funny to watch since it's Mel Gibson. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, But nonetheless, I was just like, shouldn't... I mean, not to just draw, like, a generic... Lying in the sand to be like, oh, the black guy should be the one who's like upset about apartheid. But nonetheless, you do have two main characters, one of who's white and the other one is black, and it's like the only time Murtaugh is even shown getting into an apartheid situation is when he is serving as the distraction in Riggs' plan to sneak into Arjun Rudd's office, But right. so he's like playing the part of a black guy who's offended by apartheid. It just seemed weird to me that they chose to play it that way, to, like, have it, to give, to focus it all so much on rigs and not even split, like, evenly between the two.
2: Right, I mean, some of that might have had to do with Mel Gibson being the bigger star uh, at the time. Uh, yeah. But also, you look at... It's just very clunky. I never quite understood in this movie what the bad guys are really up to. Something like they had... There's a trunk of gold in the chase scene in the beginning that the cops recover and they're doing some other, like, bad stuff, but I don't. you never really... I mean, beside the apartheid stuff, you're never given, like, a big reason to hate them. Really, I don't know. I mean, they're not bad guys you love to hate. They're just kind of... They're kind of there. Well,
0: it's what... It, it, I feel like it, they treat it the same way they treat the drugs in the first one, but the big difference is, is that, like... I mean, I feel like people, you watch a movie as an American, you get, you understand the problems with the drug trade. You don't need to, like, explain it. They're just like, these guys got some drugs, and they're going to switch hands at this location at this time. We need to show up and stop them. But, it, yeah, it doesn't, you can't really think about what they're doing with the Krugerrands, because they tell us that Krugerrands are illegal to import into the U.S., so then it's like, well, what are they even doing there? Where where are they coming from?
2: Yeah, and I like, guess what, diplomatic... What
0: purpose Im- are the Survey? Like, it, I guess maybe they're using their diplomatic immunity to have, like, a base for international money laundering or something? I don't know. You definitely can't think about it.
2: Well, they, no, you can't, because <laughs> they wave around diplomatic immunity like it's, oh, I just tried to assassinate you and your girlfriend and your dog. I have diplomatic immunity. You can't do anything. Like it yeah, <laughs> yeah, as I understand it, you get diplomatic immunity from the
1: host country, so they could just rescind that shit the moment you start committing rampant crime. yeah,
0: <laughs> it's a very this follows the same kind of logic as that actually D- Judd movie, double uh, jeopardy,
1: oh where Lord, it's like, yeah,
0: where it's like where it's following the like the logic of the law, very specifically, where it's like, no, I'm pretty sure if I got arrested for killing you and then they found out you weren't dead and then I killed you, they could just charge me with a different crime? They're not going to be like, oh, well, oops. <laughs> yes, exactly. Same thing with diplomatic immunity. If I have diplomatic immunity and I kill someone, they take it away and I have to leave. <laughs> it's not just like, oh, man, we can't do anything. Bummer. I guess we have to let him kill the president.
2: Right. I mean, so... uh with the Lethal Weapon 2, with Leo gets they kind of get introduced to him because they have to uh, give him protection because he's in the witness protection program until he gets picked up by the feds, which uh, never really happens. And uh, I thought there was a very funny scene where they went to a subway and they get the Ron sandwich. But I was mystified because I've never seen a subway that had a drive through before but I was talking to friends. Yeah,
0: somebody. I thought the exact same thing.
2: And yet, I talked to some friends of mine on Twitter, and they said, oh no, in New Mexico, and some parts in the the Midwest or whatever, it's not uncommon to have a drive-thru on Subway. And like, when I go to a Subway to get a sandwich, and I'm there telling them what to put on the sandwich, they fuck it up half the time. Like, I can't imagine trying to do that in a drive-thru. I want three pickles and two pieces of cheese, and I want it melted part way, and whatever nonsense you do at a Subway. I
0: think about... I think it also says a lot about how large Subway was in the franchise in the late 80s yeah. that they that they are willing to appear in a movie in which one of the characters <laughs> goes on a like swear-filled tirade sure. how, what a shitty company they are. <laughs> I mean obviously he's talking about the drive-through in general not specifically Subway's drive-through. But they show us that they're at a Subway. It did not make me feel good about going to a Subway drive-thru if I ever managed to find one in real life. Yeah, I mean,
2: Maybe I... maybe Burger King paid them to put Subway in the movie. <laughs> 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 that could be. I mean, I, I somehow don't think at the time Subway had the fucking tuna sandwich combo as a time. No. <laughs> although that would <laughs> was a great
1: tie-in. <laughs> and you'd have Danny Glover there holding the sandwich...
2: I'm getting too old for this fish. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, there you on, go. The puns. yep. They're, absolutely. They're the. Uh, on the by the oh.
0: way, uh, I, it, on some weird, shameless sequel level, it kind of bothered me that Danny Glover only says, I'm getting too old for this shit, like, basically 0.5 times. He never actually. <laughs> Yeah, says it all the way. Kind of, he more like alludes to it. Like, remember my catchphrase from the first one? And I was like, come on, man, it's a sequel. He said it three times in the first movie. He's got to say it like four times
1: now. That's I kinda, to become. I kind of like that more I in think each think one. Kind <laughs> to one up themselves by cramming in catchphrases.
2: Well, then, this one at least two or three times, I believe, Mel Gibson. You know, it is in a scene where he's going to do do something crazy, and he says one, two, three, "Heybo," you know, doing a Three Stooges reference. Yeah, and the first time Uh, they 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 love the Three Stooges references. There's a lot of them, for sure. Awesome. And uh, know, the first time it's cute, and then he does it like two or three times, and it's like, well, I don't think it's as funny when you repeat it. I don't know, and he's not. (laughs) That's like a catch, but so that's the catchphrase they did repeat. Um, so, what did you think about the romantic interest in this film?
0: Um, well, I think Patsy Kinzett is very attractive. yes uh, I'll say that, but I thought it was weird that there was no there was no plot relevance to Riggs trying to seduce her like it wasn't it wasn't like he was using her to get in. With Arjun Run's company, and then kind of fell in love with her while it was happening. Like, it's pretty seriously that he just finds her cute and wants to date her while he is also trying to take down this South African crime lord.
2: Yeah, it's certainly very rushed. I mean, he he meets her for five seconds and then follows her to a grocery store and uh, gives her tips about how to pick out vegetables. It's... Something Throws that,
0: all the groceries on the
2: floor. Yeah, right. Throws the groceries <laughs> on the floor. Runs out.
0: Like, like an asshole. <laughs> some cop.
2: <laughs> but I guess uh, she likes assholes, so she goes back to his uh, trailer and, and I guess isn't scared away by a trailer. I mean, I think if you take someone home and you're living in a trailer, you'd have some explaining to do. I mean, he's a cop. I mean, the money he's making can't be that bad. But I guess he likes the beach no. view. Oh,
1: he's making plenty of money. He just has bad credit.
0: Well, he's like constantly breaking his TV and getting a new one I assume based on what we've seen in the franchise so far
2: Sticking all the guns in his mouth, yeah And uh, you you get the dog back Uh, I really like this scene where he's uh, sleeping with um, Patsy Kensett and an attack is is put upon them from the South Africans. They're kind of going around killing people. Although it's kind of ridiculous, you got people in a trailer park in a mobile home. You think you could put explosives in the mobile home and set them off? Not assault them with like three helicopters and all these snipers and everything. Well,
0: that's kind of like. I feel like that's the mo of the franchise, at least. Yeah. The movies in because I, I thought the same thing in the first movie. When Mr. Joshua kills, um, I'm forgetting the character's name, but, you know, Tom Atkins' character, uh, whose daughter gets killed and stuff. The fact that they decide that they're like, I want to kill this guy, and instead of doing something, I don't know, covert or more ninja-like, they fly fly a helicopter into his daughter's funeral so they can, like, (laughs) snipe him through the window. I'm like, why? I realize that he's, Carabuse's character is, like, a super badass, commando, but I don't know why you would ever assume that that was the best possible way to make sure you kill this guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, same thing, you uh, know, the second one, they just kind of, big bull in a china shop their way through all their attacks. Well, you know, they're not not—they're not sneaky people.
1: <laughs> it, it could be just another case of, you know, this is a sequel, we got to get bigger and better. We had a helicopter attack somebody, and it's In his private office, we gotta have a helicopter attack a funeral. Now, it's the only way to up the stakes.
2: And I think you have some fun moments. More
1: helicopters.
2: More helicopters, of course. And uh, you got some fun moments with him on top of the trailer with the machine gun, and they're trying to sneak out. But I I really thought they were going to kill the dog. I think that would have been that would have made sense. But somehow a dog can dodge bullets and sneak across and jump in a car and not get hit. I thought that was. But if you killed a dog, I think that'd make people really upset.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and Chud, we recently did a list of the 20 best pet deaths oh. in movies, uh, <laughs> and it, it's funny. I mean, it's like people people get really upset when you kill dogs in particular, like way more upset than if you kill people. Like 80 people could die in a movie, and if you just like cut off a dog's leg and it lives, you'll be like, that movie's awful. <laughs>
2: So did you count something from John Carpenter's the, the thing? Would that count as a dog death, or not really? Because it's possessed by an alien. No,
0: we have that in that. Oh, okay. Uh, the sled dog is getting it.
2: Yep. Yeah, I don't know what it is about when you kill a dog in a movie. It makes people really upset. And even, this wasn't something like where they exactly killed a dog, but I was watching a Futurama episode where there's a fossilized dog, I think it's called Jurassic Bark or something. And yeah, Jurassic Bark. And they bring it back to life. No no, they they don't or no, they they decide not to don't
1: bring it back to life because Fry thinks that that would be kind of cheating the dog out of the good life that it did have.
2: And I was watching it with my wife. My wife was getting really upset and teary eyed and stuff, even though it just was a cartoon, but it was about a dog. And uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. You can kill a million people in a movie, but you kill a dog or if you kill a cat, no one really cares. But
1: if you boil a rabbit, no one cares either.
2: No. Certainly
0: not at all. People don't care about rabbits. But, uh, yeah, but I did, but I think giving Rig the dog, though, definitely was a smart choice, even just in the first movie to kind of, because he's kind of like, like you feel bad for him because his wife died, but he's also sort of, I mean, he's kind, he's kind of a bad guy in the sense that he's just going around shooting people constantly, when he could have been trying to, like, wound them or just, you know, not shoot them at all. Uh, but you give, you give a guy a dog, then it's like that lets you know that he's like, yeah, if you show him being nice to a dog. Because people are like, oh, he's nice to a dog. He can't be all bad.
2: And it makes him slightly less creepy. He's not in a trailer by himself in the first film, you know, trying to kill himself and watching Looney Tunes. He has a dog with him, so that's something.
0: Mm-hmm. I did like that the dog has some weird trap door <laughs> on the yeah. floor of the trailer. I wanted more of that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a fan of trapdoors of all kinds.
2: I'll keep, that in, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so what do we think about the toilet scene? I think that's one of the big takeaways from *Lethal Weapon* too. the scene, everyone remembers. Exactly, uh, where uh, Danny Glover is at, or Mel Gibson gets a call. I think this probably happened before the attempted assassination scene, actually. But uh, yeah, and he, um, Mel Gibson gets a call from Danny Glover, and Danny Glover has been in the toilet all day, and he says, "Oh, just come over here." And he comes in, and he's been sitting on the toilet. And on the first roll of toilet paper, it says something like "Boom, you're dead." Yeah. And he's afraid of getting off the toilet. And Mel Gibson ducks behind the toilet, and there's a plastic explosive in there. Uh, I, I think it's a tense scene, but it, it's also very ridiculous. And the scene knows it's ridiculous as well.
1: Uh, does you know, and maybe uh, kill someone
2: too. What was that? I think it was
1: a common oh, com- uh, way to kill someone. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They,
0: I mean, apparently they can only fly. They have two two things: either fly a helicopter in, or kill you in some kind of like wily coyote fashion that may not work at all. Like, what? if <laughs> How did they know Murtaugh had to take a shit that day? What if he had waited till he got into the office? It would
2: have
1: been totally wasted. Well, but what, what if, if anybody
2: else had used that restroom? No, but see, I don't think uh, Danny Glover had to take a shit that day because if he did, he would have. He might have used the toilet paper that had the boom message written on it. <laughs> he might have used that piece. <laughs> but he just
0: sat down to take a pee. His, his legs were tired.
2: Yeah, I don't know, but I mean that that he sits there all day is kind of strange. But they get the bomb squad, and they have a very Emotional speech. You're not gonna. You're not gonna die in this toilet. And, uh, Actually, the, mo- the
0: most the most human, like the one that yeah. part two has way less of than part one, is like human moments with our our two characters. And I think it's funny that really the one real human moment they share, other than the very very end of the film, yeah. <laughs> While uh, Danny Glover's pants are down, wearing uh, you know. Bomb shield vest sitting on a toilet as Mel Gibson about to pull him into the bathtub. Uh, but it's just a good moment where it's like, uh, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it's like Danny Glover's about to tell Mel Gibson, you know, like, I love you, man, but then Mel Gibson's like, before he even opens his mouth, like, I know, I know. I'm like, oh, that's a good moment. It's yeah. This toilet joke sequence.
2: Yeah, it's far better acting in a scene invol- involving a toilet than I'm used to uh, watching in films.
1: Oh, oh, go on, Zach. Although no, I'm just saying, it, it, probably, although it probably is best that they put a real human moment there, simply because it does seem kind of absurd, and putting a human moment there brings in a bit more reality. But also, it's when, in just about every way, Danny Glover is at his most vulnerable, and that's when you want your real friends there.
0: That's mm-hmm. um, just say. I think this scene is really representative of. Uh, what I was trying to saying earlier, like, I think was an overall mistake with this movie. I mean, clearly, what does mistake mean since the movie was a huge hit and they made two more sequels? But at least compared to the first one, where, because the first movie was kind of like, Murtaugh is kind of our real main character, because uh, we see Riggs in some ways through his eyes. Like, we don't know how crazy Riggs really is. We never really get let in there. But in part two, uh, it's like really Riggs is just the hero and Murtaugh is his sidekick who's just constantly getting, like, shit on and, like, made fun of and demeaned. Like, they have the whole running joke with his wife's car getting destroyed and the whole thing with his daughter being in the condom ad and everyone making fun of him for that. And then I kind of, like, I feel like this is, like, the pinnacle of that but the, scene, the movie's most memorable sequence involves him, you know, almost dying while he's trying to take a shit. <laughs> it's, like, it's, always, it's always amazing that you didn't have a part where the character gets, like, deep pants in front of everyone or falls into a pool of shit or something while everyone points and laughs.
2: You mentioned the... Uh...
0: I felt bad for Murtaugh the whole movie. I was like, poor guy. Everything bad happens to him. Nothing bad happens to Mel Gibson until his girlfriend gets killed, I guess.
2: That's not good. Yeah, you mentioned the condom ad. I think that's a pretty funny scene where Danny Glover's, uh, or Murtaugh's daughter, you know, gets her first acting role and the whole family sits around the TV and it's a condom commercial. And uh, I think that's funny. And the movie could have used more moments with uh, Murtaugh's family. You got a lot of that in the first film. There's less of it here. Uh, You know, it's more of a, straight action picture Then I think the first one was and uh, a yeah, no,
0: I'd, I'd agree actually I was just uh, I was just kind of skipping around um, before uh, uh, the podcast here just watching random scenes from part two and one of the random scenes that I ended up watching was the scene where the family's sitting around waiting to watch the condom kind of ad and I was just like oh this is such a great scene that it's just like one of the best scenes in the first movie it was also a small family scene where Riggs first comes over for dinner yeah. and uh, the same daughter is, like, flirting with them and, you know, Murtaugh is getting kind of, like, flustered, realizing what's going on. Like, all the stuff with Murtaugh's family is great. Um, and I, I, feel, I agree that the movie probably would maybe, I don't know if they would necessarily fit it in, but I think the movie would have been better with more of that, more of them
1: in it. I really like the inclusion of the condom ad for for a number of reasons. One of them being that you know by 1989 you couldn't ignore AIDS anymore, uh, and you know and the whole notion of, of protecting sex was really finally getting out into the into the public eye. But also like it was going to be it was going to be, uh, gonna be uh, a few years later there was going to be a number of controversies when condom companies were starting to try to buy uh, airtime on national television uh, to air, you know, to, to air condom ads, and there was a tremendous uh, amount of backlash at the time. Now, I, I, I like <laughs> the, the movie sort of acknowledging that this stuff is going on by including that angle with the condom ad.
0: I mean, That was probably even just more of the Richard Donner's subtle activism mm-hmm. that we were talking about before. Although, it is kind of ridiculous that the family would have had no idea what her ad was. So, <laughs> it, was, it was almost like she didn't know. Like, they were all waiting to find out when it aired.
1: <laughs> yes, they filmed those scenes and then changed the voiceover.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, they lied to me. They told me it was an ad for 7-Up. <laughs> I thought
2: it was for tires. <laughs> And I'd I like they do a callback to that gag later in the movie where uh, Leo Gets is in a hotel with Murtaugh, and he says, "Oh, have you seen this condom commercial? Oh, the, the chick on that is so hot." And Murtaugh's like, "Oh, just get you out. Know, yeah. I'll pretend you didn't say that. Get out." And, uh, and so that's that's a cute little moment. Um, and I do uh, I liked all the stuff of uh, it,
0: it felt. I mean, it almost comes off as kind of like petty and self centered. I suppose, but I, I like the sort of realism aspect to it. That Murdock isn't really that upset that his daughter was in a condom ad. He's upset that the other cops will see it and give him shit about it, which they do. Uh, but I thought that was funny.
2: When yep, with he shows the, up at
0: work and has the all condom the condom tree. stuff all over his desk. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, you know, there's thinking about it. There's a lot more I like in this movie than I did not like. Uh, I I also like to see early on in the police department where they tie up uh, Riggs in a straitjacket and they try to time to see how long he can get out of it, and he's able to do something where he dislocates his own shoulder to wiggle out of it, and then he says, "Well, oh, the the most painful part is putting it back into place," and he kind of rams it against the wall, and. uh and so it kind of shows the crazy side of uh, Riggs again as a character.
0: Well, it also plays into, I've always felt like, other than, I guess, being, you know, charming, uh, I've always felt that Mel Gibson's single greatest uh, acting trait or ability or whatever you call it is that he's great at being hurt, like when his character is like getting tortured. He loves getting tortured and just, like, abused in movies. Yeah. Uh, but he's so good at selling that, because when he'll, like, ram his shoulder in the, in the, you know, into the wall or something to lock his uh, uh, shoulder back into place, uh, he really really sells those moments. I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he'd asked to have that written in the movie, because he just was like, I could play this great. Do you have something where I dislocate my shoulder and need to bash it back into place?
2: Yeah, because
1: usually when something like that happens in a movie, it's, it's laying pipes so that later he can escape from a tight situation. Hmm.
0: Which he does when he's uh, the the sub-boss, whose name we can't remember, uh, throws him off the pier, drowned him. And in classic villain, <laughs> I'm trying to kill you in a way that in no way ensures you're going to die, yeah. fashion.
2: Although I think it's weird in that scene, he dislocates his shoulder, gets out of that trap, and as he swims, he as sees a
0: fight. Oh, oh, see Patsy, Patsy oh he, he
2: sees Patsy. Oh, he sees Patsy Kensit, and you think he would try to shake the body or try to undo the locks, and there'd be one of those scenes where he takes it to the surface. But he just kind of keeps on going. I don't know; it's kind of strange.
0: Well, he did. He has only met He only had one date with her. Maybe he wasn't wasn't as invested as he was acting like he was.
2: That's true. I think it. You know, it's a moment for the character that he's been grieving over his wife over the in the first one. You want to try to give him a romantic interest, but it's such a half-assed attempt that they probably could have left it out or tried to do something else a bit better. And, um... Right, but yeah, that he gets into a fight scene immediately afterwards. You yeah, think that's what he'd be I thought exhausted. you
0: were going to say. Yeah. That he dislocated his shoulder, <laughs> he pulled his shoulder out of the socket, and then gets in like a super fight with a bunch of dudes and wins. It doesn't even seem like he's in pain, like I feel like that would have been an interesting moment to show him throwing punches and then, like, wincing and stuff. mm mm-hmm. imagine That it would hurt really bad if your shoulder was literally out of place and you swung it hard enough to, like, Ugh. knock someone to the ground. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess Riggs is just way more badass than we are.
2: I did like how in the final showdown they get to the house of Arjun Rudd, and it's on stilts kind of on the, by the coast, and he hooks up stuff to the back of a truck and drives the truck off, pulling the thing down, and it comes crashing down the whole house. I think that was pretty clever. Again, not subtle.
0: No. <laughs> uh, it looked cool. I felt like that was that was very much a, like, I feel the kind of big stunt that you don't really see as much of anymore. Not yeah. never, but... that just while watching it, and I was like, oh, this feels so 80s, and I couldn't quite think why. And I'm like, I guess, because in the 80s, they really just, like, that was a real house, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, yeah they just had, it's
1: all
0: real. Yeah, they just had a house that they just pulled off a cliff. I'm like, that's awesome. Although, it was a terrible plan, though, since Mel Gibson's character was doing that while Danny Glover was inside the house trying to <laughs> rescue Leo. Yeah, probably, yeah like, that's probably what the if they, box. how did, they weren't, like, communicating on walkie-talkies or anything. Like, hey, dude, are you out of the house? I'm about to pull it over. Uh, very easily could have killed his partner and uh, the witness that he was trying to protect. But
2: that's how Riggs roll. Yeah, and getting towards the end of the film, like the action scene on the boat, I think is okay. I mean, you get, you get to see kind of the showdown between Riggs and the number two guy, uh, where they do the karate stuff a bit, kind of like the first one. But it's not nowhere near as interesting as uh, Mel Gibson fighting Gary Busey in the rain in, his, in the front While, yard. All the cops While all the cops are watching. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
0: wait! We haven't even talked about the st- stupidest part of the whole movie. I totally forgot. What's the Was stupidest that this part? Number two, the sub-boss, yeah. his name we can't remember, reveals that he killed Rigg's wife. Oh,
2: God. Right, oh, right. Yeah. So the first movie... It's so dumb! It's so forced. I mean, the first movie's vague about what happened to his wife. I think they mentioned briefly it's a car crash. But they don't show flashbacks of it. They don't labor on it. It's just that he misses his In other light. case,
0: you get the impression that she just died in a normal car crash. Yes. Like it was a sad accident.
2: But nope. The South Africans did it.
0: Yep, because they have been like... I think, even stupider, I think, than the revelation that this sub-boss guy killed her is the fact that the reason they killed her is because they have been monitoring rigs and they felt that he was getting too close to their operation. Uh, of course, the best way to get someone to stop coming after you, of course, is to kill their their
1: wife. Um not, not a guy. Guy. They have no problem putting bombs in toilets and, and, and using helicopters, but a guy's bothering yeah. them, they don't kill him. They kill the wife. They're
0: very South Africans are very high concept
1: uh <laughs> super villains. Yeah, and uh, okay, we, keep, we keep talking about South Africans, but, like, in my mind, I can only hear this stereotypical South African accent, you know. Like Gavin, did they put a ball under his toilet? <laughs> you know, yeah. I keep hearing that voice in my
2: head. I mean, and... I, like, I do like... Oh, God. I was just going to say, in the monologue, the number two guy, the sub-boss Gibbs, he even goes, he, like... And after, after the, we caused the wreck, all that was left was her face was a bloody mess as I pulled it off the seat. I was like, is that detail really necessary? <laughs> this guy's going to be upset that yeah. you say that you killed his wife, <laughs> but like I pulled her bloody face off the car seat. She was dead all right. It should have been you, but no, we got her.
0: That was hell of said that he thought she was
2: ugly. Does he say she was ugly? <laughs> no, no, i saying he should have. Yeah. He should have
0: gone <laughs> got to do the rule of threes. He took it one step further. He should have been like, and she was ugly to begin
2: with. <laughs> she was asking for it. was um, carrying Reed's baby. No, no, that would have been worse. Oh, if they would have said that. Jeez. <laughs> uh,
0: but, yeah, but, but that's such dumb, like... Uh, I, hate, I, just, I hate when sequels do that. Type, cause there was no reason to do it. Like, they didn't need... That's what you'd do if Lethal Weapon 2 was going to be the last Lethal Weapon movie. Mm -hmm. If you were, like, tying together a trilogy and wanted to make the third film feel really epic and connect back to the first film. It was like, why did these random super evil South Africans who we totally accepted already as villains and bad guys who needed to be taken down? Like, there's there's so no reason to give... To make this guy, basically, they made him Riggs' Joker, like in the,
2: yeah
0: you know, Tim Burton Batman, where they, the Joker was the one who killed uh, Bruce Wayne's parents. It's basically what they're doing. Like, oh, it was this guy all along, this random, unmemorable South African guy.
2: Well,
1: you know, the other thing is that is it kind of hamstrings the sequel because then it means they can't do a sequel where Rick gets a lead, and then has a whole investigation tracking down the guy who killed his wife. It, it kind of sure. denies Rick a satisfying, you know, revenge-slash-justice arc.
2: No, and instead, it's just an extreme coincidence. And yeah. That feels and, unearned. I mean,
0: just objectively, I liked that. Like, that was something I liked about the first movie, was that his wife... Just died. Like, he wasn't sad because it was, like, literally his fault or, you know, because some criminal killed her, so now he's trying extra, you know, it's like a death wish or something. No, he was sad because his wife died, and he was this weird guy who has a speech about how the only thing he's good at is killing people. (laughs) Um, And presumably, you can kind of glean from that and write your own backstory for him that he met this woman that he fell in love with and married, and she made his life worthwhile, and now she's dead, so he's gone back to only being good at killing people, and has become this, like, crazy, uh, you know, suicidal lunatic who's constantly shooting (laughs) criminals.
2: (laughs) I mean, the end of the movie, it wraps up, it's okay, you get a nice conversation between Riggs and Murtaugh, because Riggs is pretty injured, and, um, they get a nice little character moment. And then it, it end, the end credits end with the George Harrison song called Cheer Down, which I don't think quite fits. It's uh, not as heinous no. as the Lethal Weapon anything song. Was, yeah,
0: I was going to say anything <laughs> is better than the Lethal Weapon song from the first movie.
2: Sometimes love is a lethal no. weapon. No. Weapon. No. <laughs> no.
0: Yeah. That song could have been worse. As if Frank Stallone was singing
1: it. No, 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 you could you could, you could still make it a titular song, you know, you could have the song, and because friendship is a lethal weapon, too. Uh,
2: <laughs> <that's>,
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, man, I would actually, I would have given them props for that. <laughs> <laughs> if they had a lethal weapon, T-O-O song. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I always kind of wish that last James Bond movie would have called their song Quantum of Solace and tie that into a chorus and make it rhyme.
1: Try, uh, yeah, Solace, uh, Wallace, that's a rhyme. Uh, Walrus, there's another rhyme. It's not too hard to write that song. But actually, speaking of things, because I'm looking because I'm looking at one of the, the posters for Lead the Weapon 2, and the tagline on the poster is the
2: magic is back.
1: <laughs> that, that's a tagline from a completely different movie.
2: Is it the the... chemistry?
1: for the- a different
0: time, I can only assume. Right. The magic is back. <laughs> you know, <then> I guess <laughs> that's not... After. I guess that's not inaccurate so much as it is just a weird choice. <laughs> the acting chemistry is back <laughs> yeah.
2: At least the tagline isn't Okay, 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 okay
0: No, that's the way for the, the sequel Where they bring Leo Getz back for no reason
2: Yeah, he barely had a reason to be in this one Except to give more comic relief and... um to give him something else to play off of, but, you know, he doesn't play a part in the climax of the film. I thought that might have been kind of fun if they would have put him in there somehow. But, uh... All right, well, we've talked a bit about Lethal Weapon 2. Why don't we move on to, before uh, we give final thoughts on the film, let's play or pitch a sequel game in which we pretend ah. the sequels after Lethal Weapon 2 did not exist, and we come up with ideas for what the sequel could have been. I'll start. Uh, I think Lethal Weapon 3... Could have involved, uh, started with uh, Riggs, uh, the character played by Mel Gibson, getting a note in his trailer saying, I'm back. And he doesn't know who it's from. And in fact, it's from uh, the twin brother of Gary Busey. So you bring <laughs> Gary Busey back, playing his twin brother, who's uh, twice as dangerous and twice as insane, because he's been kept Ruined, in a mental. Not
1: Gary Busey having escaped, but a twin brother.
2: The twin brother, also played by Gary Busey and um, they have to deal with that. So it's like the first one, but more extreme, more lethal. <laughs> uh, Thrasher, what's your idea for a sequel?
1: Okay, my idea for a sequel is that we, fu- we find out that the, uh, the South Africans uh, weren't, uh, weren't entirely working alone. That, in fact, when they, when they weren't the ones who planted the bomb in the toilet, they had hired an assassin called the Plumber, who specializes in using uh, fixtures in bathrooms to kill people. You know, bombs in toilets, acid in shower heads, uh, you know, exploding medicine cabinets, things like that. Well, the plumber is back and responsible for a series of these escalatingly gruesome mom hits. So, of course, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover get assigned to the case to find out the plumber's true identity and to take him down before he can... Uh, before he can Wipe out all these innocent people at a uh, plumber's convention, which is the front for some sort of uh, some sort of uh, cocaine smuggling or heroin smuggling ring.
2: <laughs> Very good.
0: Uh, um, I guess I'll go. Well, since part two already established, now this new theme of adding retroactive continuity involving Riggs's dead wife. The only way to make that, they already ruined it, as we just said. Yeah. we you can't have another movie. where. So I like think what, what's the only way you can build off of that is that it turns out she's not dead. That oh. was all a lie. <laughs> she faked her own death. And not only did she fake her own death, but uh, she's evil herself. And so then the movie has the climax with Riggs fighting his own wife. Mr. and Mrs. Smith-style, and killing her himself on purpose.
2: I like that. And you have to have some scene where there is a girl fight between her and uh, Murtaugh's wife.
0: Of course. Oh, no. Maybe... Some... I guess she can, shouldn't can kill Mrs. Murtaugh. We really <laughs> like her. Well there'll be lots of jokes about what a bad cook Mrs. Murtaugh is. Of course.
2: And then they use some of her cooking to... Uh... As a weapon. <laughs> as a lethal weapon yeah. against Mel Gibson's <laughs> yeah. wife. Uh. Oh, boy. Okay. So that was, <laughs> that was our pitch A sequel game. Uh, before we wrap things up, we're... Well, okay, why don't we give our ratings now for Lethal Weapon 2. Um, out of five stars, I give it three out of five stars, I think. It's, uh, it's okay. It's better than I think it should have been, but it was... A bit too goofy. I don't think you had as many iconic action scenes, such as the shootout kind of in the desert in the first one. Um, but you know, if you like the first one, you might as well watch this one. It has a very good toilet scene, perhaps the best toilet scene in, uh, in all cinema. Uh, Thrasher.
1: Better the toilet scene, is the beginning of Ice Pirates. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it. Uh... Uh, three and a half. I was I was entertained, and while the magic is back, not as much of it is back as I would like.
0: Uh, I'll basically echo that one. I think I give it three and a half. Um, it's, it, cause what's good about the first movie really was just the chemistry between Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, and even though they sort of changed what the dynamics are in the sequel uh really you just gotta have them doing anything and as long as like the dialogue isn't atrocious or something it'll be fun i mean it's not as good as the first one but uh but delivered at least on what i would have wanted from a lethal weapon sequel
2: right yeah very good um so before we end things, we're going to play a little new segment on Cast called "What You're Watching," where you talk about briefly about a movie or a video game or something fun that we've been watching and want to talk about. Uh, for me, I will mention I, I got to sit down and watch the. Um, well, this isn't a fun example, but I'll talk about it anyway. I got to see the remake of Arthur, uh, starring um, Russell Brand. Of course, the remake of the film starring Dudley Moore and Liza Minnelli. And, well, I think the casting of Russell Brand was pretty smart, I guess, if you're trying to do a remake. It was so watered down and so unnecessary, I guess, compared to the original that I don't quite understand why they made it.
0: He's not a drunk anymore, right?
2: Um, He drinks a little bit in that, but no. I mean, to put it this way, in the the opening of Arthur, Arthur's drinking, being driven around by his limo driver, and he picks up prostitutes. In this remake... He gets drunk and then puts on a Batman costume and drives around in the Batmobile uh, from Batman Forever. And the whole thing's kind of toothless. The one part I did like is Nick Nolte plays the angry uh, father of the rich woman that he's supposed to marry. And um, he's kind of funny. There's some okay scenes with that. And, I mean, everyone, everyone's trying, I guess. And even when uh, Russell Brands, as Arthur, is trying to be drunk, He tries to sound a little bit like Dudley Moore in those moments, which was kind of interesting, but I I can't recommend it. It it wasn't something I much cared for. Yeah, I suspect
1: they just needed a vehicle for a funny Englishman, but did not have any imagination to think beyond Arthur.
2: Yeah, and it didn't do so well, so I don't think we'll be seeing a sequel to uh, that one, even though the original Arthur with Dudley Moore did have a sequel called On the Rocks, which is just pathetic. Um, Thrasher. What's something you've been watching?
1: Uh, well, actually, I saw John Carter last weekend.
2: Oh, in the theater. Okay. What did you think? Yeah, yeah.
1: I overall, overall, I enjoyed it. It's 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 a a bit clunky in the beginning, but once once you, they actually get John Carter to Mars, it is it is very enjoyable. It really it's very it's very faithful uh, to the original novel, though they did have to pull a couple of elements uh, from some of the later novels to make it a bit more coherent. But you know, it's it's true to the characters. Uh, I Tars Tarkas, played by Willem Dafoe, that is like exactly how I imagined the character when I read the book.
2: But you've read some of the books, then, right? Isn't there like yes, a yeah, dozen and, of them and, and, or something? And, pardon? Isn't there like a dozen of those books?
1: Yeah, this close, there's close to about about a dozen. Um, the, and and that's actually something because because I, I you know going into it, I had read the books, uh, and my girlfriend hadn't. She still enjoyed the movie, but she kind of like she, she felt she would have enjoyed it more if she had read the source material. Uh, th- this was clearly made by people who 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 knew and understood the the novels by Edgar Rice Burroughs. So you probably will get a bit more out of it if you're already familiar with those books.
2: Gotcha, uh, Josh. What's something you've seen recently that you want to talk about?
0: Um, my girlfriend and I uh, just watched. For fans of so bad it's good, oh yeah, uh, cinema, I recommend an early '90s movie called Doppelganger,
2: hmm. uh, starring
0: a starring a like poised for comeback Drew Barrymore. Like after she cleaned herself up, this is around the same time she made Poison Ivy, uh, and she gets naked in the movie, which is great if you're a guy or lesbian or just an appreciator of boobs. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, the movie, it's just, it's so, like, pleasantly atrocious. And it's one of those movies where the screenwriter's like, who should our hero be? I know. A struggling screenwriter. Uh, and there's just all this stuff in it about movies. But the movie has nothing to do with movies. That's just, like, what our male lead does. Uh, and he has a writing partner. And they have these sort of, like, faux... Howard Hoxian, like, banter conversations about movies, and, uh, and then, I mean, the whole movie is just, like, ridiculous, and then it kind of crescendos out of nowhere. I realize this is spoiling it, but I'm trying to encourage people to see it. <laughs> but it crescendos all of a sudden into this, like, really elaborate effects-heavy horror movie climax involving, mm-hmm. like, this really elaborate, uh, like transformation sequence, um, it is hilarious. Clearly, Threshin knows what I'm talking about.
2: <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it, but reading the plot description, it re- sounds a little bit reminiscent of the Lindsay Lohan "I Know Who Killed Me." Is it? But oh, that one's about evil twins. Though, I mean, sorta.
0: that that's also that's... hilarious and bad. Yeah, this is more. This is like pleasant though.
2: Okay, like, okay.
0: Like it's. It, I don't know. It's it's like a re- like. It's trying to be, like, kind of funny, not like waka-waka funny. Yeah. Uh, but it's not trying to be all super intense, like I, I Know Who Killed Me or whatever that Lindsay Lohan movie is. Uh, plus, I just, in general, enjoy watching Drew Barrymore more than uh, Lindsay Lohan.
2: Yeah. Very good. So it
0: doesn't have, doesn't Lindsay Lohan, like, have a robot hand, like Luke Skywalker in that movie? Yeah, has she she has like a, a robot,
2: she has a robot leg that runs out of batteries, that she has to keep on plugging into the wall. <laughs> it's back a little oh. oh, it's. Yeah, that's another special one. Okay, I'll we'll have to check out that doppelganger. That sounds pretty interesting. I Certainly a lot of Drew Barrymore stuff that she's been in that I have not seen. So, um...
1: That used to be a fixture on the Sci Fi channel when it first started.
2: Yeah. Uh, Josh, is but there they any... didn't have the naked shower scene.
1: Nope.
2: <laughs> Josh, is there anything you want to promote?
0: Um, I guess just that on Chud.com, this week I'll be starting my my Lethal Weapon franchise column. Uh, I also wrote uh, a web series for Fox Digital called Let's Big Happy. Uh, I did not come up with that title, but uh, (laughs) that's what it's called. And that will be premiering somewhere online uh, at the end of the month. Uh, I don't quite... I don't really understand how web releasing works. So.
2: Well, congratulations. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Uh, let's be happy. Yep. Um, cool. Well, thanks, Josh, for coming on the sequel cast again.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: No problem. Uh, so, all right. Have a good night. All yeah. right. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Okay. So, um for the sequel cast this is Matt.
1: And this is Thrasher.
2: Same Okay, 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 oh, okay.
1: Before Lethal Weapon Oh,
2: okay. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Okay, okay. Hey mo! Fucking Tuna. Got the wrong sandwich. Before you, you...
1: Lethal Weapon 2, I didn't think that there could be a bomb under my toilet. Now I check every time.
2: You're dropping bombs all right in the toilet. They're just not explosive.
1: Hey, now that's... Potty mouth? Yep. <laughs> feel, feel the humor drain away. <laughs> <laughs> Last few seconds. Or so the cork came out of the bottle.
2: Yeah. Hold on, man. All right. Cool. You can hear SQLCast while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher is a free news and talk mobile app available for your smartphone. And when you download Stitcher to hear SQLCast, you have a chance to win some money. Downloading is quick and easy, just find Stitcher in the App Store. Download it, it's free, and takes just a few seconds. Then during registration, hit the promo code box and enter SQLCast, to get automatically entered to win $100. The latest episode of the show will always be waiting for you in your favorites. You'll get access to lots of other amazing shows, too. Always available to you on demand, no syncing. It's Stitcher Smart Radio. Don't forget to enter the promo code SequelCast when you register. Just go to stitcher.com slash